Hey, church fam. Are we are we logged on? Yes, are we, we are. Yeah. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, 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 hey. What is going on, everyone? Yes, it is great, great to see everyone again. Um, I know um, we are so happy uh, to be able to be back with you all for Kaya again. Um, I know it's been a been a little while. We, we've had some things going on, but at the same time, we are so happy to be back with you again. And this is actually, today is one of our favorite topics that we like to do, uh, which is a question and answer with our uh, pastor, the Reverend Dr. Robert Charles Scott. And so we certainly are excited for you to be with us today. Ashley, what do you got? Anything you want to say? I'm just happy to be here. Yes, like Jeff said, it's been a little minute and um, a lot of things has happened. So we're just, but I'm just excited to be here. I can't wait to get this Q&A going. Again, this is one of our favorite things that we love to do. We love to pick our pastor's brain and have him give us the realness um, to some of these questions um, so we can, you know, move about life and have and have these answers. But um, let's bring in Dr. Scott. Where you at? Where you at? There we go. Hey, good people. How are you all doing? Hey. Hey, Pastor. That's the, the man, the myth, the legend right here. So. Oh, no, that ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, oh. that, that is not me. I, I think the last time, the last time we were together, um, um, Ashley uh, hadn't yet had her child. So. No, not yet. Yeah, so I want to say congratulations. Yeah, I want to say congratulations. And of Thank course, uh, Jeff is coming in the home stretch of wrapping up his uh, MDiv. And yes, so sir. you have my prayers and supplications. <laughs> oh, oh, look at that. Oh, look at look that. that. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. Look at that. That's good stuff. And we got, and, and we also have. We want to make sure that we include you because we have our pastor who is running for the General Baptist State Convention, right? So we want to make sure yeah. we put that out there now because yeah. you have our prayers and supplication as well. Like uh, I need to add something to my plate. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah, like I need to add something to my plate. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, and yeah. and also Ashley uh released her book. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Ashley released yeah, her, her, yeah, her first book stuff, as well. So um Thank and I'll let her guys. talk a little bit about that later. Uh you could order it on, on Amazon. But oh, you know that's uh, when you know that's when you know you big when you go order stuff <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> No, no, can't anybody just put anything on Amazon? Mm -mm. That's right. No, no, that's when you, that's, that's tall cotton. <laughs> I wish. Go yeah. to court. Go buy that's, a copy that's, of that. That's, that's tall cotton. That's tall cotton. Yes, indeed. yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, but let's let's not waste any time because you know these oh we we never have enough time to finish all these questions. So let's just let's go ahead and jump um jump in. Yeah, y'all yeah, got, got a whole lot. Yeah, y'all got a whole lot of them. <laughs> we always y'all trying to get y'all trying to get seminary education. <laughs> you right? Okay, you right. is that it? Yes. So I got the first question. So first question, since God can look into our hearts to see if we are true, what is the point of testing our faith? Is it for him? Is it for us? Is it others? For example, when God asked Abraham to kill his son, God already knew what he was going to do before he even propositioned him. What was really the point? 
Was it to reveal something to God in all his glory, prove something to Abraham, Isaac, prove something to people like ourselves who have studied this story many years later? What do you think? <laughs> she coming out the gate swinging. She coming out the gate swinging, Pastor. She also, you know, knows that we're going to do it. So, um, so, yeah, that's, 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 that, that question has so many layers to it. Um, and, and, and it is not as easy to answer as to say, well, you know, God didn't have to do ABC because that question really drills down to several things. It drills down to number one, the essence of who God is. Number two, the essence of who we are as fallen creatures. And since God exists outside of time and space and yet interacts with us in time and space, when we try to figure out the mind of God, that's kind of something hard to understand and comprehend. So that's the first thing I want to say uh, is that just like the writer of Isaiah says that just as God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, uh, it is it's just kind of hard for us to really understand why God allows for certain things to happen. Now to get to the essence of the first part of that question because you had kind of like you snuck you snuck in four questions <laughs> more. and and so and so when 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 we when we really look at trying to unpack um that 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 layered question in in a variety of, of ways i think that one of the things we have to really take under consideration is First of all, what is the point of testing our faith? And not only does the question of of uh, the example of Abraham that you use come to mind, but for me, Job, um, Jesus, <laughs> and then even us as as persons. So, what what is the purpose of of, of testing our faith? And and I think that we have to understand that there is a difference between what I would call, uh, first of all, a test and a temptation. Tests are used to bring out the best of us. Temptations are used to bring out the worst of us. And so when we look at God engaging and interacting as far as humanity is concerned, and particularly the story that you all brought up uh, with the focus on, on Abraham, there are several things that we have to understand. And if we put it within the context of the biblical narrative, it really shed an exciting and an extraordinary light on the text. So first of all, what is faith? According to scripture, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that is in the New Testament. Yet when we look at um, the Old Testament perspective of, of faith, um, God would often engage humanity uh, in a way to just see really where their loyalty and where their heart lie. Now, if, 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 if we really want to understand faith, faith ain't really faith until it has been tested. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, faith, you, you don't, you don't know where you stand until your back is up, <laughs> is up against the wall. And, and 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 here's what we got to understand about the things that 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 that's that Abraham narrative that you all want to use as a context for the backdrop. 
that Abraham narrative is couched within the context of worship. Because as they're getting ready to go up to the mountain in chapter 22, they're getting ready to go up to the mountain. And and, and notice what Abraham says, because we missed this. Abraham says, my son and I are going up this mountain to worship and we will be back. So now who's being put mm. to test? <laughs> Abraham said, my son and I are going up this mountain to worship. And he said, and we will. He didn't say, I'll be back. Mm. He said, and we will be back. At that moment, the proposition is clear. At that moment, when he even makes that statement, the issue is relatively resolved as far as where he put his faith and confidence because he felt that if God even allowed for him to do what would have been considered by a whole lot of us in today's culture, just absolutely crazy and borderline insanity that God had enough power to raise Isaac back from the dead. So it's couched within the act of worship and it's within this act of worship. And, 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 and this is, this is what we got to, Understand, faith tested within the act of worship denotes the fact that you have a relationship with the one that's being worshipped. Hmm. So yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't really have faith in God if I don't worship and trust God. And so when we look at where this act of worship is taking place. Um, and and I'm trying to I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that I that I recall recall that biblical narrative succinctly. Abraham goes up the mountain to worship God. He and Isaac, as they're going up the mountain, Isaac says, uh, "I see you got the wood. I see you got the rope. You know, but where's the offering?" And, and I, Abraham said, "The Lord will provide." <laughs> and I can imagine if we were to put this in today's context. Hey, I was probably going like dad is on something. He done had some meth. He done smoked some crack. He done done something. He, he, he's just really out there because we ain't got no lamp. But here's, here, here is the crazy thing about, about that. That when, when faith ain't faith until it's been tested, but it demonstrates how many of us have to worship God in difficult moments. I don't think Abraham was going up the mountain singing, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. And I know he wasn't singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. That's the dress will be glad, ain't it? Right. Okay. So, so put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. This is hard for Abraham. Okay. And we got to remember his wife, Sarah, out, and, and the Bible doesn't give us any indication that she knew what was getting ready to happen. Uh, but I can imagine if she really knew we would not be reading about this biblical name. <laughs> right. Um, um, but, but Abraham, but here's what, here's why we read about Abraham and we don't read about Robert Scott, Ashley Rozier or Jeff Stavison because he faith, because he's called a man of faith and faith is not faith until it's been tested because everything that Abraham had hoped for dreamed for was locked up in Isaac. Now this is why I got to read the Bible. This is why I got to read the Bible, because in chapter 21, 
in chapter 21 of Genesis, God told Abraham in Isaac, your seed shall be blessed. And then mm. chapter 22, he tells him, kill Isaac. This is why you got to read the Bible <laughs> and you got to and you, and you got yeah. and, 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 and you got to digest it and 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 interpret it properly. In chapter 21, he tells Abraham in Isaac, your seed shall be blessed. In chapter 22, God tells Abraham, sacrifice Isaac. Now, how can his seed be blessed if he's going to kill Isaac? Right. Unless God just has this extraordinary uh, uh, capacity to do the unthinkable. Okay. And number one, he asked Abraham to prove to do the unthinkable because the test y'all in that text is not about killing Isaac. The test is about where Abraham's loyalty is. Hmm. Because the moment, because if, if 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 you read if you read if you read if you read the text, the moment that he pulls pulls up the knife to get ready to strike uh, Isaac, the Lord says, "Listen, stay your hand. I, I know I basically know where you where you are." And and what Isaac had to what Abraham had to remember was Abraham had to really focus on the promises of God, because again in chapter twenty one. Isaac is the one in which the seed of Abraham is going to be blessed and a new nation is going to evolve. But then in chapter 22, we see that God tells him to kill Isaac. Now, um, part of the problem that so many of us, where we miss the boat, is we lack the capacity to remember the promises that God has told us. And part of the reason that we don't remember the promises that God told us is because we never read the promises that God told us, so we don't know what they are. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so, 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 so here, here, here is just think about that text. Here is the wonderful, absolute major glory of that text. When you read that text and I want you to hear me, hear me well. When you read that text, several things happen. The Lord tells Abraham, stay your hand. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Okay, not stuck, caught. <laughs> and the reason the ram is caught is because it is a providential move of God to allow for that ram to be right there when he needed most. Because y'all do know that a ram is really a form of a lamb or a sheep. It's kin to that. Ram. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now I'm going somewhere with this. Y'all done got me started. <laughs> so, so, so. The, the, this is where we get that term Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Mm -hmm. And he does not call the, he does not call uh, God Jehovah Jireh. He calls the place Jehovah Jireh. Mm -hmm. The place where the Lord provides. He does not call God Jehovah Jireh. He calls the place where the Lord shows up because watch this, the place of major sacrifice becomes the place of major provision. Mm. Okay. 
So when we look back over our lives, there's some places we just need to go back in the past and remember that he called it, you know, and and and, and really called those places where we gave up something that we felt we couldn't live without yeah. to prove the essence of our loyalty to the divine, to show God that God, you're the one that is prominent, preeminent and 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 um, uh, major as far as my life is concerned. So. So. When God asked Abraham to kill his son, God already knew what he was going to do before he even propositioned him. But here's the thing, Ashley. God always gives us the power of choice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and God always gives us the power of choice by virtue of the fact, because think about it. Do you really think that when we read the biblical narrative, particularly in the book of Genesis, that it was God's original determination and design for Adam and Eve? to partake of the fruit and of course cause what we now call the fall of man to take place. That wasn't God original design or intent. And so God creates us to be free moral agents with the power of choice, the capacity to choose. And so we can go against, and I know I'm getting ready to mess somebody up. We can go against the will of God. Oh yeah. We, we, we could do some stuff that ain't God's will nor intent for our life. Mm. And part of the reason that Abraham even wound up in the mess that he was in was because he went against the will of God by virtue of the fact that he and Sarah came up with this ingenious yeah, yeah. to have a child, to use Hagar, his Egyptian handmaid, and have a child with her. And that's how Ishmael came into being. And God was like, that ain't how I want to do this thing. So, so what happens is, is that now, 3,000 years later, Abraham really becomes somewhat of a biblical example for us to understand that faith is a faith until it's been tested, that until you can understand what a major sacrifice is, you would never experience the major provisions of God. And then understand that God has given us some promises that God cannot renege on. Um, and so what's really the point? The point is for you. To, the, the point ain't for God. The point is for you to prove where your loyalty is. Because mm. God going to be God regardless of what we do. Right. But will we be able to reap the major benefits or will we suffer the major repercussions for the choices that we made predicated either upon moving in faith or not moving in faith? Good. I got that. Yeah, I, I really love that. The place of major sacrifice is the place of major provision. I mean, I think that is, um, I think that's powerful. And I think a lot of times we, we don't think about that where we are at times in our life and the sacrifices that we make, or even, you know, when we're being tested during that time or we're being tested as far as our loyalty and where that resides. So no, I, I, that's, that's powerful. Um, yeah. And, 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 and let me drill down on something. Test and temptation, they look so much alike. They, they really look like, they really look like the same thing. However, how we respond will determine whether what we just experienced was a test or a temptation. If it brings out the best in us, it becomes a test. It brings out the mm. worst of us, it becomes temptation. Interesting. I, I've never heard it given that way, Doc. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never... <laughs> You don't mess somebody up. You don't mess me up. <laughs> it's all in how you respond to it. Yeah. 
It's all because even when we talk about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and we use the word temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, they when we talk about the temptation of Jesus, based upon how Jesus responded in the wilderness, will we be calling him savior, right? Mm. Because even Jesus, in the essence of his humanity, had to make a choice. Yeah. And that's why he's fully human and fully divine. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says that he was tested in every way that we are, yet he what? Did not mm -hmm. sin. Why? Because watch this. The writer of Hebrews take the temptation of Jesus and he flips it and he calls it a test. Mm. And we always refer to it, you know, because we talk about it through the temptation. But it's flipped now because, as you said, you know, based upon how we respond to it. Yeah. And how it's, Jesus it's responds. All, it's, yeah. all, it's all based on how, how we respond to it. And if it brings out that good and it does character development and, and, and it makes us trust God more, then basically what could have made us go down a negative, dark road becomes a positive, uplifting experience whereby we become closer to God. Good stuff. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. I so love what's it. really the, so what's really the point? Here it is, Ashley, character development. Mm. <laughs> I like it. That makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. It's character development. It ain't God development. God mm -hmm. ain't got development in anything. <laughs> and, 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 and it's not, and it's not, and, and and since, yeah, God knows all that stuff. Yeah. But here, here's the thing. There, there is the essence of God's foreknowledge, God's foreordination. And but but you and I don't know all there is to know about the mind of God. Right. We, we only get figments and pieces and 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 even the figments and the pieces that we get. It's like Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. Some writers say we'll understand it better by and by. That's how they put it. But we see through a glass darkly. Yeah. Which means that even when we think we got it, we ain't necessarily got it. That's why that's why we got to walk this thing by faith mm. and not by sight. Reckoning and depending upon the promises that God has given to us through God's word. Good stuff. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Gonna go ahead and uh, move to our our next question because that one was uh, that was heavy. That was a heavy one right there. Uh, but let's see what else we let's see what else we got because I believe this one might be just as heavy as that one. Uh, Christian Christianity in the West has a history of hate and being used as a basis for discrimination and oppression. What would you say to someone who is turned off to Christianity because of its history in shaping white supremacy and its current role in being the basis for some discrimination against members of the LGBTQ community and what we know just came down uh, Roe uh, v. Wade? Um, let me see how I can start this, first of all. Um, how old is Christianity? Jefferson Seminary. How old is Christianity? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we're talking about uh, two thousand over two thousand years. Well, we, we we say two thousand, but right. I about say, I know. I about say we just we throw it. That's what we say, but. <laughs> 
All right, all right, all right. So, 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 watch this. Let, 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 let me, let me, let me start doing my my little dig. And I think what I want to try to do is work backwards, or or should I say, go back to the future, or be ancient future. Um. So we say Christianity in the West has history of hate and being used as basic discrimination and oppression. So let me, let me, let me kind of count you right there. So we're going to allow for nearly almost 1200 years of Christianity history to be boiled down to about four or 500 years of oppression and neglect of the West that has basically bastardized what biblical Christianity or what or what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is concerned. So we're going we're, we're gonna to allow for, because we, we're talking history. So you want to talk history, then we're talking about taking just these, you know, four or 500 years of, of, of change of Christianity in the West. And really it was a Christianity, not really Christianity of the West, more so than European Christianity that became corrupted when the issue of race was introduced as a social construct, which came into existence around 1300 AD. But however, however, you got no church history because Christianity basically in and of itself is African in its origin. So anyone who says that Christianity is, quote, the white man's religion or Western Christianity, uh, you have basically cut out one third of the essence of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus and have reduced it to what we do in Europe and America. Right. Yeah. All right. right. Number one. All right. So let's take take we go. We're going to take that pot. Gonna put it to the side because we gotta cook some more. All right, we're getting ready to cook another, getting ready to cook another part of the of the meal. So the first multi-ethnic church was formed on the day of Pentecost. That when the Holy Spirit brought the church into existence on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It was relatively a multi-ethnic church because you had people from all over the diaspora that happened to be in Jerusalem on that day. And the day that Peter spoke that the church grew, 3,000 folks joined church, but they were from all over the diaspora. Why? Because the Jews had been fettered out due to uh, captivity, due to them being taken away in slavery because they were disobedient to God. Uh, so you had Roman oppression, Greek oppression, Babylonian oppression, Assyrian oppression that caused those Jews to be spread out. So when they come back, the interesting thing is that the reason they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost was so that what each person could hear the the the, the favor and the gospel of God being shared in their own language yeah so this is not this is not that babbling y'all see on television where you don't know <laughs> what they can this is a language it is a language it's like latin and spanish and 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 greek so 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 god moved in such a powerful uh uh major way until 
until the people heard the gospel. So first multi-ethnic church is on the Pentecost. So you have Acts chapter one, verse eight. When you read Acts chapter one, verse eight, uh, if I can remember correctly, Jesus told the disciples, listen, go to Jerusalem, hang out there. I'm going to give you power where you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. All right. Four, four different aspects. So home, community, city, state, country, world. All right. So Acts chapter one, verse eight, follow the flow. Acts chapter one, verse eight. He gives them a mandate. Go wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to give you power presence of the Holy Spirit, so you can be my witnesses, go tell the story, you know. Now, watch this. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, because of the persecution of the church, the church grows. Why? Because they are now scattering. Right. Y'all missed it. Acts 1, 8, Jesus gives a mandate, but Jesus doesn't tell them how the church is going to grow, but church grows through persecution. So you got Acts 1, 8, and then you got the flip in Acts 8, 1, where the church, where people are now leaving Jerusalem and Judea because of the persecution of Saul and others who are against the church. So really, church grows not in good times, but in times Man. of persecution. So, so that's another part. Let me put that to the side. Because, because anyone... Because anyone that fails to understand what church history is, you reduce it to only 500 years. When in actuality, as far as, as the church of the way or being a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, we will be coming up in, if, if we do it historically correct, we'll, 2029, it'll be 2,000 years. 2029, it'll be 2,000 years. Because Jesus died in 29 AD. All right. Okay. So, so, so that, that's, that's the second, that's the second part. That's the second part. Now, so what would I say to someone who is turned off by Christianity because of history? I would say they don't know history. Hmm. And I would also say it ain't predicated upon history because history is couched within nuances of culture and context. That the problem with people not understanding what Christianity is all about is because they don't know who Jesus really is. Hmm. Because if you knew who Jesus really is, not the cultural Americanized Jesus, but the historical biblical Jesus, if you understood who he was, then you would understand that basically Jesus in the very essence of who he is, is one that is, watch this, inclusively exclusive. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate walking paradox. Jesus is inclusively exclusive and exclusively inclusive. All right. So now that's, 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 that's about now. Let me boil the water. Let me boil the water and you can have some tea. Here it is. Here it is. So from a historical, theological, uh, philosophical perspective, um, uh, the, 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 the problem of what we deal with in Christianity as far as particularly in America is that um, um, the historical African 
understanding of how we're to follow Jesus has been bastardized and corrupted by Europeans who basically have created this good, a religion of the empire rather than a religion of the kingdom. Mm. So, so, so basically the religion of the empire is one that is oppressive, restrictive, rather legalistic, and doesn't have much room for grace because it is a perpetuation of the empire to sustain the empire rather than bring the kingdom of God into a functioning reality. So when we talk about the history of Christianity in the shaping of white supremacy in America, it is because white supremacy and the use of race as a social construct. Cause y'all do know that in the Bible, there's really no such thing as race, right? Yeah. Racism is a new world construct. Racism really didn't come into existence until late 1300, early 1400s, whereby the color of one's skin became the justification marker as far as um, capitalism, as far as slave trade is concerned, and as far as the use of human capital, because when the slave trade began to start bubbling up in the late 1300s, early 1400s, and was making its way, watch this, through Europe before it came to the shores of America, what ultimately wind up happening is, is that we wind up seeing that white folks somehow came up with some grand scheme that black people were inferior to them. Okay? Now, as I continue to boil this water and as I turn up the heat, as far as that's concerned, that... Um, what we have in America, watch this, what we have in America in both liberal and conservative circles is a bastardization of what authentic Christianity is all about. Because on the conservative end, when it comes to white folks, you still have white folks who think that blacks don't bring anything that, that is of significance contribution as far as theological scholarship is concerned. And then when you have on the liberal white folks end, the other end is that you have really this almost nauseating pacification of trying to appease us, but they still don't think much of us. Now, say all that to get to this. Because when we look at when we look at how Jesus, and particularly when we look at those who are marginalized, disenfranchised, and, and oppressed, one thing that we have to understand is that Jesus, the biblical historical Jesus, the Jesus of scripture, the Jesus who interacts and becomes the divine representative to humanity does not condone sin. And regardless of where we want to come down or whatever issue, be it LGBTQIA or Roe versus Wade and abortion, stuff like that, he doesn't condone sin. Okay? So got, I got to put that out there because I know that there are people who are in LGBTQIA say, well, you know, this is how God made me. Da, 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 da. But we got to also understand that we are all broken. All of us are broken. 
And all of us have basically been corrupted because of sin. So even when we view ourselves through our sexual lenses, that view through our sexual lenses, be it homosexual or heterosexual, is still a corrupt understanding of who we are when we are supposed to be created in the image and likeness of God. So for those who are LGBTQIA, and I have to tell folks, I said, first of all, engaging our brothers and sisters who may practice a lifestyle that we may view from a biblical perspective as not in necessarily in line with God, original design and intent does not mean that we discount them as persons and that it is incumbent upon the church for those that may be practicing practicing that lifestyle to bring the level of grace and compassion to the moment. But depending on where you are on your theological spectrum of uh, engaging persons and demonstrating the very essence of who Christ is, while also not condoning if that's where you are on your theological spectrum, where people are. So prime example, prime example. Woman caught in the very act of adultery, John chapter eight, called very act of adultery. Pharisees, they bring them to Jesus, throw on the ground. And they say to Jesus, Law Moses says she should be stoned. What you say? He writing on the ground. You know, preachers, they try to talk about what he wrote. Don't nobody know what he wrote. But he said, <laughs> and they say, you know, they trying to bag a Jesus because they trying to put Jesus in a trick bag. Try to put Jesus in a trick bag. And the interesting thing is that when they were trying to put Jesus in a trick bag, really to use him as either a tool of either, watch this, Oppressing the woman or oppressing him. <laughs> Jesus continued right on the ground. And he says this interesting word as they continue to press him. And if you and 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 and, and part of the problem is that 99% of folks in church don't know how to read the Bible, especially the New Testament, because they don't know how to read Greek. So we read it from a Western nuanced English perspective, and we miss a whole lot in translation. Jesus says, he without sin cast first stone. And the word sin in the original Greek is hamatatos. And if you dig deeper in that word hamatatos, the word hamatatos in that particular text means a particular kind of sin. Let me take my glasses off. So what Jesus said is, any of y'all who had done the same thing this woman done, throw first rock. And Bible says that from the youngest to the old, from the oldest to the youngest, they start dropping their rocks. And then Jesus says, "Where your, where, 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 where the folks that condemn you?" She said, "They gone." He said, "Well, I'm not going to condemn you." Either. And now watch what Jesus said. Jesus says, "Go, and don't do this again." It wasn't that Jesus condoned, but Jesus, the very essence of who Jesus is, is not trying to put us in a trick bag of condemnation but to get us to make the shifts so that we can be in right fellowship with the divine. John chapter 3, 16, when we love to quote John 3, 16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, <clears throat> but have everlasting life. But they miss the shout for me ain't in verse 16. 
The shout for me is in verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to what condemn the world, but that the world mm. through him might what be saved. Be saved, yeah. Okay. So, so what happens is if you don't know, first of all, who if you don't understand the very what it means to be a follower of Jesus historically and theologically, here's the other one, and culturally. You will become a tool of oppression for folks who don't do things or live the lifestyle the way that you do. And so uh, for and, and this is where I am with 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 my sisters and brothers that are LGBTQIA. I am welcoming and accepting. I'm not open and affirming. OK, I welcome them. I accept them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm not going to affirm that lifestyle because for me, in my view of human humanity, as well as scripture, um, God desires a lot more for all of us. When it comes down to Roe versus Wade, y'all can't even begin to imagine in my 31 years of ministry, how many couples as well as single women that I've had to counsel and talk to and walk through, walk with as they made this decision about mm. terminating the pregnancy through abortion. Mm. And I did not tell them what to do. I just sat with them and I listened to them and I listened to them argue, you know, weigh that thing back and forth. And, and, and I didn't tell them what to do. I didn't tell them what to do. But 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 I had to hand napkins as they wrestled with decision to medically terminate something because something went awry in the pregnancy. Um, and, and so folks can't even begin to imagine all the stuff that I got to take to the grave mm. in my 31 years of ministry. And um, um, uh, in, in and so it boils down to being compassionate, demonstrating, watch this, the grace of God by your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the deeper you get in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you really have this capacity to, to show uh, grace at a at a level that a whole lot of folks can't. It's good stuff. So I, yeah. I feel like what I'm hearing is first, know your history. Oh yeah. Know your church history. Um, and I think a oh, lot Christian of people, history, yeah. Christian. Right, your yeah. your Christian history. First know your Christian history. Um, because so often like you said, we want to just look at the most recent you know, history in the past couple hundred, few hundred years, rather than going back to the actual beginning of Christianity and, you know, and, and reading your Bible, like Dr. Scott said, actually reading your Bible, actually figuring out who Jesus Christ is and what he did. Not, I mean, so often we don't read those scriptures about how Jesus came for the oppressed, for the poor, 
And it's like, in 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 what way could he say he's gonna say he's coming for these people? But then at the same time, we're gonna be okay with the oppression of you know certain groups of people. Well, know? he came for he came for all of humanity, right? But he identifies with those who are oppressed and marginalized. Why? Because in his humanity, right? He wasn't born in a palace, born in a cave, right? <laughs> He didn't have a cradle. He had a he he he, he was in a in in a feeding trough. Right. So so one, you're saying know your history, first of all. Um, but then I guess when I think about history, even biblical history, when I when I look at scriptures, there are some scriptures that say, you know, if you do have a slave, this is how you treat your slave. You know, this is it. And you get your slave from the from, you know, not your own people, but from, you know, other communities. Um, if so let so let so let me clear up where yeah, you're talking yeah, about, so because well, how because, do we reconcile because, because because first of all, biblical slavery back during that time and slavery in the Bible was a whole lot different than American slavery. Slaves back then were basically uh happened for, 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 for two, two major reasons. First of all, many people that became slavery during antiquity was because they were basically casualties of war. Okay? So that because, you know, to the victor goes the spoils. So that's one aspect. And we always have to couch things within a cultural context and bring that nuance to it. The other way that some people became slaves was because they had to pay off debts or either they were cast into a debtor prison. So they became slaves by virtue of that. All right. Because even when you, again, this is history. During Roman and Greek times uh, in, in antiquity, the slaves taught the children. Right. You ain't have that in American history. <laughs> The slaves were smarter than the children. And so remember th that they were casualties of war, which means that they bring that since they may have been casualties of war, you may have had some, some people who were very, very smart being taken into slavery. But now this does not negate, Ashley, that there was an oppression. This does not negate that there was not negative bad treatment during, during antiquity. However, historical facts helps us to understand that American slavery has been the worst form of slavery in all of human history. That what, what Americans, what white folks, what Europeans did to our ancestors uh, in North, Central, and South America has been the worst form of human slavery and unfortunately, they used the Bible to justify the enslavement. However, they picked and choose how they were going to do it. Slaves be obedient to your master, but then they neglect the fact that you're supposed to treat your slave with kindness or be, be you know, treat them with some sense of decency and humanity. So, so, so it's when you read scripture, it is reading scripture, applying scripture, and then it is what we call in hermeneutics, building a theological bridge from what happened back then to what is happening right now 
as far as our reality is concerned. And the problem is a lot of folks just don't know how to build theological bridges so that they can engage in proper, inter- in proper, so they can engage in proper interpretation and application as far as biblical text is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's the problem because, you know, it's so interesting to note that in both Old and New Testament, uh, there's some things that they talk about doing in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that make no sense today. None whatsoever. But again, People don't know how to, people don't do critical analysis so that they can do a proper interpretation and application of biblical text. And so what wind up, wind up happening is that you wind up having folks take a biblical text out of context and um, uh, doing some jacked up stuff that when God looks at it and looks at where we are right now, it's like, I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> That's not something that I could do. Good stuff. I like that. We are running close on time, but there's another question that I wanted to ask that I think is very relevant for a lot of young adults. Now, um, all what you said, it sounds, it sounds good. And, you know, for, for us, like you said at the beginning, you know, these are some questions that, you know, we're taking back to seminary and we have to kind of, you have to kind of dig deep into, but for like a person that is unchurched, that's not in church at all, can't read the Bible, don't understand, don't know where to start. But, you know, living in this world amongst all the unchurched young people, the church kind of has a negative, you know, perception, right? Uh, When in reality, we know we're churched. We know that, you know, a lot of good things have come out of the church. But how can we change the perception of the church from being like this archaic institution that lives off of tax-free money, um, you know, and just show that we are, you know, we're actually doing things for the community. You know, we've got so many, you know, pastors out here. I'm not going to name them, but, you know, doing crazy things, <laughs> you know, spitting in people's faces and, you know, just just doing a lot of slick stuff that just does not feel good and does not feel like, you know, somebody unchurched I want to be a part of. How do we as Christians and, you know, as people of the church, pastors, everybody, how do we help the unchurched see past, you know, what has been you know, shown in, I guess, social media or, you know, just what's being brought to light now? So so that's a great question. And um, there, there are several layers to that. Uh, and let me, if I could, clear up some things. First of all, uh, church does not have tax-free money. We pay taxes. We pay Make property taxes. Pay. Yeah, we, we pay property taxes. We, we, we pay uh, payroll taxes. Um, uh, as far as our employees are concerned, what we don't pay taxes on is money that we collect on Sunday morning. Um, that is for revenue, but the majority of churches, 85% of churches in America have less than 75. Well, no, no, no. Take that back. Have less than 150 people. 85% of the churches in, in America, black, white, you know, Asian, uh, Latino have less than 150 people. And because of the pandemic, now that out of the 150 people, they may have been seeing 60 
at before the pandemic. Now you got to take another 40 percent uh, away from that as far as those folks that are coming to church with some sense of regularity. So uh, let me put that out there and clear that up because we do pay taxes. We just don't pay the taxes on the money that are received uh, on Sunday morning because it is with the the intent and and the government in America does not want to um, uh, impugn the capacity of the church to do great things. And and here's what we got to understand. Here's what we got to understand. Um, that that again, going back in history, most of your hospitals were started by churches. Correct. Yes. Most of your most of your institutions were started by the church. If anyone goes to an Avalee school, the majority of the Avalee schools were started by the church. If you go to an HBCU, as right. I say, HBCU, the majority of your HBCUs started was started by a church in some shape, form, or fashion. My school, Jackson State, started out as a seminary. And it evolved to Jackson State University. So so, so it, it's really understanding here. But here's, here, here, here's the basic gist. I said all that to Clister. But here's the basic. Um, it's about forming relationships. It's about relationships. It's about folks seeing, it's about those who may not go to church seeing Christ in you. And oftentimes the problem is we invite folks to our church before we invite them to our Christ. Mm, that's good. So we want folks to come to church and they may come to church and run into a, 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 a mean usher or a lone standing member who, who have a certain seat in the church and they may be sitting in that seat in person looking at them like they're crazy. And won't, don't want to come back to the church. But if they see the Christ in you and you form a relationship with them, um, it is about building precepts upon precepts. And part of the precepts that we have to build upon is engaging in relationship building with those who aren't part of the church. So part of, of changing perception, because church is not an archaic institution. As a matter of fact, church is going to be here long after we, we dead and gone. Because Jesus said that upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The church going to be here long after. Now, the problem is, will an American form of church be here? Mm. Because the church is growing in Africa, mm-hmm. Asia, yeah. Central and South America. It's blowing up. As a matter of fact, the, the shift of power for the Universal Church ain't in America or Europe. It's in Africa, Africa. and South America, which is where the indigenous, where indigenous and colored folks are. So it will not surprise me that even from a Roman Catholic perspective, that if in one of these papacies in the next uh, two or three popes that may be that may come to bear, that one of them may, may be a person of color, because the power shift. It's changing. And that's what white folks are scared of. <laughs> that's what they're scared of. So so getting back to 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 unchurched young people, it is the it is the forming and the forging of relationships uh, with them and 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 you being real about your walk with Christ. It's a struggle. And Jesus, watch this. Y'all, y'all remember reading in scripture where Jesus said, Be ye perfect as I am perfect. You remember reading that in the scripture? If you hadn't, you should read it. 
Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. But the word perfect in the Greek does not mean mistake proof. Mm. The word perfect means mature. Mature. So Jesus said, be mature like I'm mature with my father. Jesus was mature at 12 years old. When he was in the in, in, in the temple, messing up the doctors and lawyers with questions too deep for their own comprehension and understanding. And Mary and Joseph come back going like, boy, where you been? Jesus said, you know, I got to be about my father's business. Gotta be. So it's, it's, it's it, ultimately, Ashley, it boils down to how many of you all are friends with people who aren't Christian or don't go to church? And what do they see in you that will make them watch this? Not necessarily come to church, but desire what you got. No, that's good. I think sometimes we fail. We fail to look at that because we want the church to we almost a lot of times want the church to do the work for us. It's like, yeah, I'll bring them on family and friends day. Now here I got them here. Now you do the work. No, when the, in reality, no. we should be doing the work. Yeah, we, 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 we're, we're the, listen, the understanding of Christian in its original intent. The word Christian is little Christ. Little Christ, C-R-H-I-S-T-S. Or in other words, we should be little Jesuses <laughs> in our reality, functioning in such a way. as we, and, and that's why we have the Holy Spirit, so that we can become more like Jesus and act more like Jesus rather than right. who we are in our broken, sinful state. I love it. 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 The problem is... We got too many people out there claiming to be little Jesuses walking around and being little demons. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 well, they're not even claiming to be little Jesuses. They're not claiming to be little Jesus. They're claiming to be members of St. Paul Church. <laughs> they ain't claiming to be little Jesuses. No, let me clear that up. They ain't claiming to be little Jesus. They're claiming to be members of St. Paul Church, which is why even in my use of language, I do not use the term member, I use the term disciple. Mm. Because the term disciple denotes something different than just a church member. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the intentionality of that, of the word usage is so important um, because it, it changes the con, it changes that construct when you say disciple versus when you say member, you know. See, our, our our time is is um, kind of winding down. This has been good. This has been good, good stuff. I don't know if you all know, but we we had like uh, four more questions that we wanted to get. But you know, See, as usual, y'all be y'all be, y'all be sneaking. <laughs> y'all y'all will take one question and put four four different things in there. That's our, you know, you were building pots, you know, I think jo what Josh that, said, that's you got some real good stuff. It's a pots for simmering here. It's a pots for simmering. <laughs> Oh, man. But but as always, you know, these question and answer sessions are always really, uh, really good. And, um, you know, it, it it's a lot that goes into it. So we, we certainly want to to thank you um, 
for always being able to. I, I, I tell people all the time. Now I look and there was a question that I, I wish we could have gotten to. We weren't able to get to it. Um, I'm going to just say it. I'm going to say what the question is for next time. This is going to be the first question. How do we move past our erroneous teaching from our youth without offending our family who taught us these teachings? Read the Bible. <laughs> there you go. Simple. There you go. Got your answer. Read the uh, Bible for yourself. <laughs> and come to some type of teaching, some type of yeah, something. Yeah, I'm telling you. The, so, But at least start reading the Bible. <laughs> The basics. And that's, one thing, and that's one thing I love about St. Paul. This is just a plug. Our pastor and our ministers, they will help you learn how to read the Bible. And that's, I never knew how to read the Bible until I became a disciple of St. Paul. So that's, that's just my plug for our church is that, you know, our leadership will teach you how to do it. So you're not out here believing in and I, and, 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 crazy stuff. Yeah. And Ashley, and, and, and here's the thing. I, I am the first to admit that even with an earned doctoral degree from an accredited seminary, I had to say that. I had to say that. I had to say that. Had to say that. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. I, I am a lifelong learner. I am not satisfied with where I am in my knowledge of who God is and my relationship with the divine. Hmm. See that? Awesome. 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 Well, thank you once again. Um, thank you once again, Pastor. Um, you know, this has been a great conversation, a great discussion. Um, before we before we let go, we want to once again um, say um, congratulations to Ashley for releasing her book. We also want to also, and I forgot to mention this, uh, we want to say um, congratulations to Dr. Scott who was elevated um, in the Hamptons, Hamptons Ministers Conference as well. So we want to say congratulations to him. And we also continue to pray for our pastor and the National Baptist um, right now. Uh, so we just want to to um, thank you for everything that you've done, for the teaching that you've given us, especially on tonight. Um, hope everyone has enjoyed it. Uh, before we leave, I do want to pray us out really quick. And don't forget, after this, we do have a quick 15 um, at 815. Please call in um, to that. Uh, you can find us on the St. Paul website and get that number for that. But let us let's go to God and let us pray out. Uh, I don't want to leave this space with all this teaching without us also ending in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this space. We thank you for this time that you have given us. We thank you for these questions that were given. Um, Father, we just thank you for the answers that were provided to us. And God, I pray for every person that is watching. I pray for every person who will watch. I pray for every person who's listening uh, that you will be able to take some of this and apply it to your life because there is meat that is in this and you'll be able to get some meat out of it. God, allow it to rearrange and to just change some hearts. And father, we just pray that this word here tonight reaches the othermost corners of the world. And we just thank you, God. And as always, until we meet again, you all be blessed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, you all guys. have a great night. We'll see you all later.